Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about spiritual food. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good time ringing in the new year, and I also hope that as you go into 2019, you're considering some ways that your life might get better this year. I really like the new year for being a time when we can start new things that will benefit us or restart some things that maybe we haven't done in a while that will help us grow. And as part of that, I really hope that you are considering what might grow you spiritually in the next year. And maybe as you consider that idea, listening to sermons will be a part of it. Maybe even listening to our sermons at Creekside will be a part of it. If that's true, then I would really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, our sermon podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're anything like me, it's hard to remember to check in and see the latest episodes of podcasts unless you've hit the subscribe button and you're getting a notification that a new episode has gone live. And so I really hope that you'll that you'll subscribe. If you'll do that, it will help you remember to listen to them, but it'll also help others learn about our podcasts. Leaving a rating and review does that as well. And so if you have a minute, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. And I hope that all of my sermons this year will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Chad, pastor here. I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm looking forward to teaching you from the book of Amos today. And uh, I want to start by, you know, just admitting something that I think is probably true of all of us. And that's that I don't always appreciate the things that I readily have available to me or the things that I've had forever. And I think I always illustrate this principle this way. And, and it's through the Oregon coast. I've grown up in Oregon. It's always been, you know, a little over an hour away from me. And it's always shocked me when people will say, if you meet somebody at the coast or whatever, and they're like, we drove from Kansas to be here. It's like, man, I struggled to get into the car to drive from Salem to be here. <laughs> you drove a long ways. And then they'll talk about how beautiful it is. And, and people that come from other places, they you know, they don't seem to notice how freezing cold it is every time you're at the coast. They're just like, wow, it's stunning. And I'm like, wow, it's freezing, you know. Uh, An illustration of this is that, and I think this is true, I've heard this from multiple places, but the world mark in, in, uh, in, in Depot Bay, I almost said Home Depot. Um, in, in deep, that'd be weird. Um, in Depot Bay is the most popular in the entire world. You have to book the place like the single second after the, the amount of time allotted. Like if it's 12 months or whatever, you have to like do it on the dot in order to be able to book that place. And I'm thinking like, have you seen Depot Bay? Have people seen it? And, and to me, this is just an illustration of how we are as people. When we've always had something, when, when we've always known something, when it's not new or fresh to us, it's really easy to underappreciate. The old adage that the grass is always greener on the other side proves pretty true. And it's not just as that's often used to describe how everything looks better to us. It's that our own grass starts to look more brown when we, when we see it every day, you know. And 
And I think as we talk about, I believe, the the Bible, spiritual food, and that's what we've been talking about. In week one of this sermon series, we talked about how Jesus is the bread of life and nothing will satisfy or fill our souls apart from him. We absolutely have to have Jesus to be truly spiritually satisfied. But in order to stay satisfied, in order to continue in in feeling full, deep in our souls, we must abide in Jesus. And and last week we talked about that one of the ways that uh, that we abide in Jesus is through the Word of God. And we talked about how the Word of God and the Bible, as a a consequence of that, are, are to the soul what bread is to the body. We simply cannot survive, we cannot be healthy, we cannot be spiritually satisfied, spiritually spiritually full apart from taking in from reading the Bible it's just too important uh, for our souls not to do it but yet at the same time we still you you left here and, and maybe I hope that uh, through my words and God using them you you left saying you're right I should want to read the Bible more I recognize that importance that's good but you probably found yourself on Monday morning whether you read the Bible or not thinking something to the effect of here we go again, you know, like I got to get up and I got to do this and the alarm, you know, didn't wake me up and I got to read a few quick words until before I head off to work and, and, and it can be, even if we believe that the Bible is essential to the health, the growth of our spiritual lives, it is still really difficult to want to read it. And over the next Two or three weeks, we are going to really dive in on, I think, what are some biblical reasons to want to read the Bible, to be excited about reading the Bible. And the first one is going to come to us in a way that that maybe is different, and that is through saying, what if it's not available? What if someday it's not available? We live in a time, as you know, when the Word of God through the Bible is more readily available to us than at any other time in the history of the world. I mean, I can even remember in my own childhood, you know, like bringing a Bible to church, and if you forgot your Bible, you're like, oh, I can't follow along. Now it's projected onto a screen. I remember when the overheads came, and we all felt good about that. Oh, I could leave my Bible at home. Do you remember that? If you grew up in church, you remember that. Um, but the overheads came. It was like, oh, it's there, and then the projectors came, and now we don't even need to have it up here because you could look down at your phones, and you could read the Bible at any time of day, any place that you are, you can look down and read the Word of God. And, and what I, I think it's done to us is that, that it's made it so readily available that we no longer, in many ways, appreciate it anymore. It's just there always. It's like if you, if you couldn't afford to go out to eat growing up and then all of a sudden you came into some money and you could go out to eat all the time, going out doesn't have the same effect anymore as, as when you were a kid and, and it was a treat to go out. I can remember the days when, when my dad and I would, would eat lunch, we would go to Taco Bell and we could for $2 have a bean burrito each and a cup of water and, and, and we did that, a lot of lunches because there wasn't a lot of money flowing and now I think Taco Bell's disgusting and I would never eat there and I'm still not wealthy but nonetheless Taco Bell is disgusting. The ability to have something can really make us stop appreciating 
what that something is. And I think that that is what's happened to the Bible. And today I want to turn our passage, uh, turn to a passage of scripture, Amos 8, 11, and 12. And, and really what this, these two verses say to the Jewish people is, hey, you guys have underappreciated my words and, and I can take them from you. Before we begin, what follows in these two verses, what happens in chapter 8 is, is what one author called the next oracle of doom. That sounds really, really bad, doesn't it? I mean, there's already been a couple oracles of doom and, and God is really laying it out there how he is going to punish these people. It's, it's sandwiched right in between two other uh, oracles of doom, I should say. And, and then he gives these two verses and, and they're so different because the other two are about physical, natural disasters, God sending wind and earthquakes. And here God says, I'm going to punish you in this other way. And here's what he says in Amos 11, 8, 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. When I will send is a phrase often connected to God sending some type of uh, major disastrous punishment towards his people like a disease or some kind of natural uh, disaster or calamity. And here it's, it's about a famine, but it's not a famine of food and water. It's a famine of hearing, of having the word of God. Thomas McComiskey, who wrote uh, one of the best commentaries on the book of Amos, at least that's what the internet tells me, I haven't read that many, he says this, in consequence to their sins, the Lord's people will receive the worst of punishments, not famine nor thirst, but a famine and thirst for his words. The punishment is terrible and indeed worse than any material punishment because as they already knew from their wilderness wanderings and as Moses had told them in Deuteronomy 8.3, the Lord humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He goes on to say that this punishment refers to an, no new, fresh revelation of the Lord and that temporary absence would be felt very keenly and would be their worst punishment. I mean, think about it. If you had to choose, just think about it. Like earthquake or you can't hear from God for a while. I know what you think you should say and I know what I think I should say. But I'm guessing that most of us would be like, oh, I'll take not hearing from God for a while. And God, through Amos, says in the middle of these two other oracles of doom, I want you to know what the big punishment is, and that's that I'm going to stop talking to you for a while. I'm going to take away my word from you. This is, in fact, a, a normal threat throughout the Old Testament. It's a threat of the prophets when they're talking to the people of God who have chosen not to listen to the words of God. For example, Lamentations 2.9, her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. And so while it's often a threat, sometimes it becomes a realization. God is not talking to his people. And what happens over time is that the people begin to hunger for God again. It's hard for us even to imagine because we live 
after this thing called the Bible has been written down, right? And so you don't rely on a prophet to show up and say, here's what God has declared. You don't have to wait for Sunday morning in order to hear a sermon that that tells you what the Bible says. You can, as I've said already, pick up a Bible any day of the week and hear from God. But it hasn't, and this might surprise you, always been this way in the history of the church. I want to read you uh, a couple of statements from early councils of the Christian faith, but they're not even that early, like 1200. Uh, and listen to the, the Council of Toulouse, I might be saying it wrong. In 1229 Common Era, this is what it says, we prohibit also that the laity should be permitted to have the books of the Old or New Testament. That's crazy. But we most strictly forbid their having any translation of these books. Like we don't want them to have the Greek and Hebrew documents called the Old and New Testament, but we really don't want it to have them to have it in their own language. In uh, twelve thirty four, a few years later, at the Council of Tarragona, no one may possess the books of the Old and New Testaments in the Romance language, and if anyone possesses them, he must turn them over to the local bishop within eight days after promulgation of this decree, so that they may be burned. This is, the, this is the church talking. Isn't that crazy? Uh, and then even just think about this then. So then after this, people, great men and women of God are like, this, this can't be how God intended it. And, and then in the 14th century, Wycliffe, he, he translates the Bible into the people's language and, and it spreads uh, but it, it led to the death penalty for anyone found, this is from Wikipedia, in unlicensed possession of scripture in English, although translations were available in all other major European languages. If you had an unlicensed copy of the Bible, it was punishable by death. William Tyndale, who did the first true English translation, that means that he looked at the Greek and Hebrew and then, and then gave us an English version of the Bible uh, Wycliffe just took from other languages and then pulled them into English. He, he was strangled and then burned at the stake for, for his crime against the church. And we sit here today with, I don't know, 150 translations on our phones and we don't care at all. I mean, people died so that we could, so that we could eat of the word of God. People died so that we could be spiritually filled up through this thing that we call the Bible and we just don't even care because we're 800 years later or whatever. But we know, you know this, you know this, right? That even today in many other places you cannot possess a Bible. There is a thing called Bible smuggling that exists in our world today where people are smuggling Bibles. You could have guessed by the title, right? Smuggling Bibles into places where people are not allowed to have the Bible. I, I read an article that said as many as 80 people were publicly executed in North Korea earlier this month, and this is a few years ago, uh, earlier this month, some for offenses as minor as watching South Korean movies or... Possessing a Bible. 
In March of 2016, four Bible translators working for an American evangelical organization were killed by militants in an undisclosed location in the Middle East. And these stories are normal around our world today. And we sit here in the United States of America with hundreds of translations readily available to us. And we don't care about reading the word of God. And Amos is a great reminder because what he is saying is, what God is saying to these people is, I am going to pull back. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm going to take my words from you. And if you read the book of Amos as a whole, what you quickly discover is that the reason God is choosing this punishment is because this punishment fits the crime. What was the crime? The people were ignoring his word. It was available to them. They were ignoring it and they were being disobedient to it. And God says, fine. If you're going to neglect it, if you're not going to care about it, if you're not going to eat it, then I am, am going to take it from you. And then we'll see how it goes for you and we'll see how it's going to go for them in verse 12. But it's important that we stop and we, we say, wait, does that sound anything like us? I mean, are we living in a time when God's word is available to us and we are choosing to ignore it or be disobedient to it? And I think the answer is, is yes. It's yes. Christians live just like everybody else today. We even have taken the Bible out of sermons in the church today. And I can't help but wonder, and I hope it never happens, I can't help but wonder if at some point God might look down at us in our country and say, fine, if you don't care about it, then I'm going to make it so you can't have it for a while. We have this, and it, this has been a problem in American Christianity. We think that like America is the chosen nation, that it could never be hurt or punished by God or that it could never be without Bibles or, or the word of God in our existence, but there's no rule or law or verse that says that. It is possible, I hope it never happens, but it is possible that God will someday say, fine, I'll put a leader in place in your country that won't allow you to have the Bible anymore since you don't want it anyway. And as I look at history and I look around the world and I look what Amos is telling these people who are blatantly ignoring and disrespecting the word of God, for me and maybe for you, it's humbling because it reminds us how much we should appreciate what we have. I am literally reading the Bible off of a device that I carry with me wherever I go right now. I think we're short-sighted and arrogant to not pay attention to the idea that we could be without Scripture. And, and if we'll remember that we could be without it, wouldn't you think like it would cause us to, to take care of it more, to pay attention to it more, to memorize it, to, to have an understanding of it so that even, you know, if that day never comes, we would, we would at least have it in our hearts and souls, but if it ever did come, we could quote it and share it, 
can you imagine, and, and I know it's a scary thought, and I, I'm not, this is not a statement about our president or the next president or whatever, but like, what if a leader just rose up in our country and said, no more Bibles? Would you know enough of it to be able to tell the next generation what it said? Would you know enough of it to be able to live your life in accordance with what God has called you to? Would you know enough of it to be able to share it and to proclaim it and to hold to it if it was taken away from us right now? I think the answer for most of us is no because we have, we've just treated it like the Oregon coast and, and said, well, it'll always be there. It's always been there. I'll get around to paying attention to it later. And, and so because it's been so readily available, it's like this thing that we, we have to do. I, I should read the Bible more. But I think that William Tyndale and everybody who lived in 1229 to 1234 common era would say, you're telling me you need to, you should, you have to? We were willing to give our lives for that privilege. And you're treating it as a duty or a thing to check off your checklist? William Tyndale didn't die so that you may so that you could have to do something, so that you would have another chore to check off. He died so that you could take in the words of God, so that your souls could be spiritually filled by the Bible. When I was uh, diagnosed with MS, uh, it, it became really easy to exercise for the next, uh, you know, few months anyway, after I was diagnosed. And I don't know if you know my story. If, if you do, I'm sorry for telling it again. But uh, I had played college baseball. And then uh, one day I, I woke up in the fall of 2008, I think, maybe seven, don't quote me. And, and these fingers were a little numb. And I was at this church then. And, and some of you said, oh, it's your sciatic nerve, you know, stretch or little or whatever. You were wrong. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then like six months later, um, all of a sudden, like, it kind of came back, and then it was in my leg, and then it was all over my body. And, and I could no longer, and I'm not kidding you, I couldn't have thrown a ball to Brock right here and, and, like, made it look normal. I couldn't jump more than this high, which is true again, but not because of MS, just age. Um, and, uh, I mean, I couldn't type. All of, I mean, I'm, like, trying to write a sermon. I was the youth pastor at that point, and, like, my fingers just wouldn't work. Like, it just felt like jello on the keyboard. Um, and then it all kind of went away. Everything came back to normal, and I remember I was in San Francisco uh, for some classes, and I remember exercising down there, uh, and, I, and I just remember thinking, this is awesome, which I had never said before when I was running or uh, doing squats or push-ups. I'd never thought, like, this is awesome, but I remember thinking, this is awesome, and, and I used to say every day when I wake up and exercise, at some point this stopped, and um, I became just like everyone else who needs a New Year's resolution, but I would say, today I can, when I was running or whatever, and it was such a, a privilege to be running, to be, you know, when I'd play basketball, to just feel like I could shoot a basketball or throw a ball, it was such an incredible privilege. And I think that the attitude, the posture we should take towards Scripture is not, this is something that I should read. This is something that I need to do. This is a thing to be marked off my checklist. We, we should take the posture of saying, today I can. I get to. This is awesome. 
J.A. Mahir, who wrote another commentary on, on, uh, on Amos, says, These things are for our learning. Have we got a Bible still in our hands? Let us prize it, read it, and commit its precious truth to our heart and mind. It is not an inalienable possession. It may not be ours forever. Is this Bible still preached in our church? Let us love to hear the word of God. Let us be urgent to bring others within earshot of it. It is not our guaranteed privilege. The voice of the preacher could be silenced. I like that quote. It's a good one, right? We should cherish Scripture while we have it because it is not something that is guaranteed to be in our possession forever. And I believe that if we don't cherish it, then we could usher in a day when God will will levy this punishment upon us as well. And then he gives us the result of it and and it's so far from us uh, because we just have it. But here's what he says in the next verse. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Searching for the word of the Lord is found nowhere else in in all of the Old Testament, but it is this, it's a scary idea. Maybe it's not scary enough to us, but this idea that we we would have to look to try to find what God has said to us, that we would have to travel to, to find scripture. That's a scary thought. And he says people will, will, will look for it and they'll go from sea to sea, wandering from north to east. The word stagger is, is a word that, uh, that is used in Amos 4, 8 for people searching for water. You imagine if you didn't have water, how, how intently you look for it. That'd be the first thing on your agenda every single day, right? If water was not coming out of your tap, you would be waking up every single day saying, how am I going to have water today? What do I need to do to have water today? They'll look for it like that. This word stagger is a word that is used for earthquakes or drunk people walking around or for blind people trying to find their way. They're gonna be searching and they're going to be weary, but they'll be desperate for it. It's a scary thought that we would travel all over. I mean, in those the term roaming and roving from sea to sea and uh, tottering and tumbling. These are other ways to say it all over the kingdom. It's a way of saying they're looking everywhere. Because they want to hear, to read, to know what God is saying to them, but they can't find it. They're searching everywhere for God's word. J. A. Meyer goes on to say, without a doubt, Amos' main purpose is to show the aimless helplessness of man without the revealed truth of God to hold him steady and still. We may not think about this, but I think even now, our, our culture for as much as it seems to be rejecting God, at least in more ways than it ever has, and rejecting the word of God, our culture is still held steady by the truths of Scripture. Uh, there's a great book, uh, 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 
apology book. It's a book uh, proving Christianity, if you will. Um, and it's a book called What's So Amazing About Christianity? And if you're ever looking for an apologetics book, then, then I, I recommend it highly. It's a fantastic read. But one of the things that the author does is he, he lays forth some of these things that, that we cherish in Western culture. And, and he, he shows, going back through history, how these things were not true before Jesus walked on earth. An example of this, something that we see everywhere, uh, that, that people matter and every type of person should be treated well. That's a Christian idea. It's an idea supported by the Bible. You can see this most clearly in, in what we believe and think about women. And I'll tell you, there's this, there's this group of people called feminists, and, and I don't know how you feel about that. That's unimportant for what I'm about to say next. But the idea of feminism exists because, because Christians first said women have the same value as men have. Now how that all plays out can get a little weird and fuzzy in our culture and we can argue about you know, what that's supposed to look like and how the roles are and things like that. But the idea that women have the same value and worth is inherently a Christian idea. We would not be sitting here thinking that if it wasn't for a man named Jesus who walked around and for the scriptures that his followers left for us to read. The two most influential people in moving women forward in the history of our world have been Jesus and a man named Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. It's just historical. Whether you believe that they were inspired or whatever, you just look at history and, and they are the reason that women are believed to be equal to men. We are held steady, even in our culture today. And go to, go to cultures where Christianity is not the main religion and see how women are treated there. We are held steady by Christian truths through the word of God, even, even now, even still, in a nation that seems to be rejecting the word of God. And if God ever pulls it back and says, I'm gonna take it all, we will stagger around. Hopeless, shaky, we will crumble without hearing from him. 1 Samuel 3.1 says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. Isn't that so interesting in this book that's in what, what we call like a historical section of the Bible? It just makes this quick note. In those days, it was hard to find the word of God. Hosea 5, 6, when they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. Read the Bible while you can. Now I'm going to break from the majority of, of people who write about Amos now and um, I'm going to read verse, uh, chapter 8 verse 13 and I believe it's connected to what's been said and I think it's spiritual. There's a lot of authors who don't really explain but they just say verse 13 is, is something physical and it kind of moves from this spiritual idea to this physical idea but the context 
for me, and I'm not alone. Um, I, I don't like to be alone on a view of Scripture, but I am in a minority. I, I think that the context suggests this is saying something spiritual, something that is a result of what we've just seen in verse 8, 11, and, and verse 12, that, that God could pull back his word from us, and if he does, we will wander about staggering for it. And then it says in the next verse, in that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. I think that what this is saying is that if God chooses to pull back his word, then the generation that's coming up will spiritually they'll fall apart, they'll faint. There'll just be no strength left in them spiritually to continue to move forward in the ways of God to serve God. Matyr is, is on my side here, and, and he says, Yet as Amos sees it, they are fainting with thirst, with an undiagnosed longing for God's truth. But the early gen, earlier generation has deprived them of the possibility of finding it. Consider that. He goes on. The heirs of one generation have become the dogmas of the next. The turret is one step further out of sight, and the new generation one step further from reality. I would just ask you that is your, if your treatment of Scripture, are you treating Scripture in such a way that God would take it away and make it so that my children don't have it when they're adults? Or are you loving and cherishing and reading it to find life so that God would say, I want to give you more of myself. I want to make it more readily available to you, if that's even possible, so that your children can grow up knowing what I have declared. I think one of the great sadnesses of, uh, of the generation just younger than me is that they are lost because they are not consuming the word of God. They are finding their identities. They are finding their hopes. They are finding their dreams. They are finding their passions in things that are not of God. And they're shooting up their schoolmates and they're committing suicide and they're depressed all the time. And they try to find outlets and things like video games instead of the real world. And I would hate, I hate to think about Hazel and Hudson, my children, growing up in a culture where they might die for having a Bible because we, who are adults now, said, oh, I have to read that sometimes. And God said, oh, you really? <laughs> you really think it's a burden? Well, I'll pull that burden away from you. You really think that hearing my word and being obedient to me is such a struggle? Fine, I'll take it. You can stagger around looking for my word and your children will faint because of your decisions. As American Christians, we're so arrogant about what God can and can't do. <laughs> we just we just act like we just act like like I'm sorry, go ahead. What's that? Well, I think I am, and I'm sorry if you feel excuse me, that way. But what I think Amos is declaring to us through the word of God is simply this. If you're not going to treat the word of God with the respect 
and, and the dignity that it deserves, then God may pull it back from you. That's what I think the word of God is declaring here. I would end by just simply saying this. I think it's such a simple teaching, and, it, and the teaching is important. People have died in order that you might have the word of God. They've literally given their lives so that you might have it. Jesus has declared in the sermon that I gave last week, the words that we looked at last week, that we cannot live on bread alone. We cannot just consume that which we see and taste and touch. We must have the word of God if we're going to truly have life. And Amos lays forth this foundation that says, it could all be taken, so consume it while we still have it. Let me pray that you'll do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word uh, you know that I fall into this pattern as well, God. I, I, can, uh, I, I literally can make it a, a checklist item that I need to take care of in the morning. It can be something that uh, I feel, you know, it's like a chore, God, like, like making dinner or vacuuming the house. And, and God, I don't, uh, don't want to be that way. I want to, I want to love God you enough that I would love to hear from you, God. I know that uh, talking to my wife and my children when I've been away for a while is such a, uh, it just lightens me, it encourages me, it inspires me, and, and that's because of my love for them, and, and God, I want to love you in, in such a way that when I hear from you, when I open your word, uh, I'm excited about it. And I pray that that would be true for everybody that sits in front of me, band up here, God, that we, God, would love you so much that we would, God, cherish your word in such a way that you would want to give us more of it, Lord, and not take it from us. Love you, Jesus, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.